You know, a long time ago, I stood in front of three different judges who punished me for my DWIs. But today, I sit beside DWI court judge Kathleen Hamilton as she explains the specialty courts she presides over. And then I'll share how this is definitely one part of our judicial system that gets it right. Come on, let's do a background check. Let's go! Have you or someone you know had your life turned upside down because of your past? Of course I have. Everyone does background checks now, which makes it hard to bounce back. What do you believe? I believe your background shouldn't hold you back. It it should pay you back. This podcast will inspire you, motivate you, and inform you with everything you need to rise above your past and and not be afraid to say, "Go, go ahead, check my background. My name is Jaden Gum. And this is Background Check. You already know. Let's go. You can check my background. I'm a forgiving felon, so tell them that I won't back down. now. You can bet I won't live in regret. It's time to earn some respect. You are tuning in to Background Check. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Background Check Podcast. As always, brought to you by Forgiven Felons, helping people with a past realize their future. At Forgiven Felons, we help men coming out of prison get back on their feet by providing uh, the practical, physical, and spiritual tools they need to successfully re-enter society and become a productive citizen. If you want more info, please visit us on the web at forgivenfelons.org. And on the house page of the website, there's also an application packet you can send to your loved one if they need a transitional house uh, when they get out. And if you miss us on The Huckabee Show, you can catch us on the front page of the website. And finally, if you have not seen the documentary that Sagu Cinema did on our ministry, you can watch it for free. Who likes free on Roku TV or Tubi TV? Okay, let's get to the show. It's so funny how life can come full circle sometimes. I've been trying to get a hold of the judge who sentenced me to prison for a while now, but have not been successful. But today we get the honor of hearing from Judge Kathleen Hamilton. She presides over three specialty courts, juvenile drug court, Veterans Treatment Court, and DWI Court. If you would have told me 25 years ago when I got my first DWI that one day I'd be interviewing a DWI judge on my podcast, I would have probably spit my Jack Daniels up from laughing so hard. But here I am right now about to do that very thing. Judge Kathleen Hamilton, welcome to Background Check Podcast. Thank you so much. It is Um, an honor. It's an honor, Your Honor. (laughs) Okay. So tell me, um, you are, first of all, background check podcast is just about anything and everybody that has to do with a background, um, whether it's people in in the judicial system, people, felons getting out of prison. uh, The background check is just a big part of our life now. And, um, and, and it all starts with the, the, on your, your end, the the judicial end. So, um, I, I've never heard of DWI court, but that's what you are. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I think Jessica said you also do uh, veterans court. So I was just... going to say, I'm actually three different specialty courts. Um, Tell us all about it. Tell us all about it. Well, I was elected judge in 2002. So this is my 18th year on the bench. Um, I came the long way to law school. I have a master's in French and studied in Paris and taught French and creative writing at McCullough when it was a high school in the Woodlands. Wow. Wow. So that was in the seventies. If you're doing the math, I was only three during that time. <laughs> exactly. Anyway. Exactly. Right. But I, um, I taught there and then went from there to law school. I have no clue why I went to law school. I didn't necessarily know anyone who was an attorney or 
you know, ever have any big aspirations to be an attorney, but I love words and um, speaking. And so I thought, well, this will, this maybe will work. Absolutely. So I've had, I had an 18, what was he? 18 months old and a three-year-old and a husband and drove from Conroe to U of H Law Center and then um, ended up, graduated in 87 and took the bar exam. And I started working. They actually hired me before I took the bar exam. So I had to have another attorney with me with my third year bar card to be able to use, but went on and was a prosecutor then for about 10 years till 97. And then I went to work for the, I was in the DA's office and the county attorney's office Okay. and was first assistant DA for a while for, I guess, four years. And then went to work for the Women's Center as their managing attorney for five years until I was elected in 2002. So when I came into office, we judges, district judges did general jurisdiction. So we had civil cases, which are mainly suing for a a money amount and family, um, which there's no money amount that you can put on those cases and then criminal felony cases. So did that. And then about four years ago, we realized that most of the inmates sitting in the Montgomery County Jail um, were not there because they were being punished, but because they were awaiting trial. And that was not good. So I could only do about one criminal jury trial a month then. And so we, four of us judges, took on all felony criminal matters and traded out our civil and and family and gave that to some other judges and took on their criminals. So in 2004, I'd been on the bench. Let me me ask you Uh you a question about that because I've seen some documentaries that talks about places like Rikers Island that have nobody in court waiting to go to trial because they, they pretty much they are just waiting to plea out. And so Mm -hmm. are these people waiting to go to their original court date or are they waiting to go to trial? No, they're probably awaiting trial. And is that because, because is that because there's no pleas available or? I don't know what goes on between their attorney and the state, really, because right. I don't get involved in those confidential things. But right. um, for the most part, they're there for that reason. But I could only do one criminal jury trial um, a month. Wow. Basically, because I had the civil and the family also I had to make time for. So um, it was getting really ridiculous. And when you have 10 or 15 set for a trial date and you can take care of one, those others move over to the next trial date, which already had 10 or 15. Yeah, yeah. It was getting ridiculous. So anyway, but the reason that I was interested in in being on this podcast with you when you invited me was um, because of the specialty courts that I do. We have about, all of us have about 900 felony cases pending in our court. But in 2004, I started doing the um, drug court for Montgomery County. And then in 2008, added to that the DWI court, and then took on the juvenile drug court um, just after that, and then took on, I guess it's been six years now. This is our sixth year of veterans treatment court. And so I gave the drug court to another couple of judges they're, they split it up and are handling it. And I have DWI and juvenile drug court and the adult veterans treatment court. So those are the, those are the ones that I handle now. Okay. So the juvenile drug court, how jam packed is that? Well, this is for children. Texas, a juvenile is at least 10 years of age, but not yet 17. 
But what we found quickly is that the juveniles present special challenges because they have usually a family member not too far removed that also a lot of times it follows in the family, addiction right. does. Right. And so we end up treating the entire family. You can't fix the child and put them back into a broken family. So true. So we exactly put the parents or the guardians, a lot of times grandparents are under orders too that affect that parent and child. And, and so they have to take UAs also wow. and stay sober and, and follow different guidelines. So anyway, but the children, you know, the juveniles are battling the hormonal things that are going on when they're teen, the peer pressure, which is really strong. And then also the genetic makeup that might be contributing to their struggling. So yeah, let's talk about the veterans real quick before we uh, talk about the DWI court, you know, because I'd say, I'd say probably close to 30% of our uh, men that come out of prison and just in our transitional houses, uh, and we've served in the last eight years, over 180 men are veterans, you know, and I went on a veterans podcast and they talk about how a lot of veterans that have been dishonorably discharged are kind of, I kind of severed from that society. But then you take a veteran who was dishonorably discharged, then they get in trouble in our society uh-huh. and go to prison and come back. Now they're, it's like they're ostracized in two different societies. So uh-huh. when, they, when, they, when they get to your court, where are they? Are, is that misdemeanor felonies? Is that the last straw, your court? What, what? They're mainly felonies. They're, uh, we have some misdemeanors, though. We have about, I guess, close to 38 Right now, we just brought in a new person, and several have graduated recently. The program is four phases, and it usually takes at least about 18 months to finish, and that's without glitches, and there are hiccups along the way. These are screened. They're uh, men and women who have uh, served in the military and who have been diagnosed with either traumatic brain injury or post-traumatic stress, and they have committed an offense but there's not a day that I don't look out at them and I really miss looking out at them. We had at one point, well, we have all of them on zoom when we do our dockets, we meet the second and fourth Wednesdays. And um, last night I was, we were all together with them, but I look out at them and I think, yes, you're under jurisdiction in my court for an offense that you've now pled guilty to committing. However, if it weren't for their willingness to die for people they've never even met before, yeah, I wouldn't have a court. Wow, we wouldn't have the system of justice that we do at all. So, so there's a a lot of admiration from my part from the bench that goes out to them. So, so that's a program that they are able to enter in lieu of time in prison or jail. They often will. Um, their offense will be dismissed. When they complete the program, some come to us by a straight probation, and it's a condition of probation that they, okay. that they complete it. But the majority have a dismissal of their offense. And for these typically guys, we have had one female, but for them, that's huge. The pride, the integrity, the self-esteem is so important. And so it's very important for them to do everything and and have that dismissed, which I love signing the dismissals when they, yes. they richly earned it. So what would you say percentage-wise uh, complete the veterans program and go on to be successful? We have, I wish I, you know what, I should have gotten those numbers. Um, we have had very few drop out of the program. And 
of the ones who have, one was rearrested, at least one, and I think maybe there have been four or five, and one has died by suicide. They read up for their next phase, so when they're in phase one, they'll read up for phase two, and inevitably, when they're reading up for their graduation, I will hear things like, if it weren't for this program, I wouldn't be alive. And the parents that come to the graduation when we used to be able to have them in person, we present a flag. We, a great woman in near Dallas um, has given us, donates to us flags that she collects from all over, from post offices and sheriff's departments and everything. And they're beautifully folded as they should be. And then a, a really sweet message that comes with them that talks about they may be tattered and torn, but they still have purpose. And so do these veterans. Wow. And we present them with those flags. And the sheriff's department in Montgomery County has started giving us some, and they have framed them in these gorgeous frames. So we're appreciative to Rand Henderson for that, but um, something they don't have to do. I don't know how many times we hand a veteran one of those, and they said, you know what? If I hadn't come here, this would be over my my casket right now. Wow. It's really, um, it's really very gratifying, very, very rewarding to do that. So that program, so I'm assuming there's uh, counseling involved. I'm assuming there's uh, some, maybe some mental health help and exactly what are some of the things they go through in that program? There is. We have staffings before all of our specialty courts. And literally at the same table in my jury room, lately by Zoom, but anyway, is everybody, all the stakeholders. So for the veterans, we have Alonzo Humphreys is our probation officer. We've created a fiction of kind of a long and elongated period where they're on bond, so to speak. And he supervises those. We have the Veterans Association is represented. So that's a lot of the counseling and the medical appointments. Some of these guys never kept a single medical appointment or made the ones they were supposed to. And now they're back on track and they're making everything. We have Dr. George Nottabon is a psychiatrist with the VA and he's with us at our staffings. We have, you know, some of the counselors are there. The refuge is there. Jessica's group is there. The state is there. A defense attorney. These are all veterans are involved. My two bailiffs in that court are both veterans. Oh, that's awesome. They're often in, in the staffing too. So we've got, we've got everybody that has something to do with this veteran all there together so we can share information and do the best. Where are all these veteran courts? I, I mean, are they everywhere? Or is In this... Texas, they are. And if I had a second, I would Google for you and find out how many we have. Um, we've got more and more opening up because of the, the great success and because it's the right thing to do. Our DA, Brett Ligon in Montgomery County said, we helped to break them with that service. We need to help put them back together again. That's a great attitude coming from the prosecutor because that helped shape everything. And actually they are the gatekeepers. Uh, Mike Shirley is the assistant DA who screens all the cases first. And we have to make sure all the military things are in a row and go from there. Now, do these guys automatically, if they're a veteran, get put in veteran court, or is it something no. they have to? Their uh, defense apply? attorneys need to need to um, get their information to Mike and start going from there. So they have to they have to make some effort to do that. Okay, 
Now there is a veterans pod. Have you been to the Montgomery County Jail? I have not. No. You would be. You would love to see that pod. It is for the veterans. They don't have men with assaultive offenses in there, but the others are there, and there's counseling that goes on in there. It's a a lot of camaraderie and collegiality going on, which they're used to. Plus, their courtyard looks very different from any of the others. It has a flagpole, and they raise the flag every morning, and it goes down in the evening, and they have the pledge. They do all kinds. They celebrate the the patriotic holidays, of course, and anyway. And they have programs where it's open, and we come in and, and watch, and they have designed, put on the whole program themselves. Wow. So, really amazing. Is- that is so cool. I love that. All right. Well, let's get to the DWI uh, court since I have the most experience on the, the wrong side of that, the DWIs. I have five, by the way, uh, because I'm an overachiever. But, but after three, you know, I, I got my first three before January of 95. So they, the third one wasn't a felony at that point. But then I got my, my fourth and fifth in September and in February of 2002 and three. And on May 21st, our, our district judge here in Ellis County sentenced me to five years each for, for my fourth and fifth DWI. And so ended up mm-hmm. serving, serving three years, ran them concurrent and got out. And, but it was a part of that time where I realized I needed to change some things. And if I didn't get out and help people, if I, if I didn't give back, I was going to go back. And I'd mm-hmm. already cheated death once I ran off a, a, a bridge, 0.267 blood alcohol level. I should, I should have died that night. This is what I do now. And uh, we have a couple of transitional houses and we, we take guys coming out of prison, but they didn't have DWI court when I got into all my trouble. And so tell me exactly what DWI court is. What do you guys do for, for these DWI people? It is the most amazing place. I wish that all of our probationers could have the kind of attention that they do in DWI court but there's no way the probation officers with their heavy, heavy loads could ever do that. At that staffing, for example, you'll have your, your diversion officers, and those are the ones who, there are three in, in our program, and they divide up the load, and they um, are kind of like the personal probation officer for that, for that particular defendant. Okay. And then we have um, probation is also involved. We have the counselors all there. So what they do, they come into the program, and it is a third DWI or, or more if they're allowed to do that. They, they screen them first to make sure we're, we have to be careful with assaultive offenses because they work so closely in groups together. They have a lot of uh, groups. They are, you know, especially at the beginning, they may have four or five UAs a week, your analysis a week, random. Then it lets up a little bit, but, um, but they're still held really accountable for for that sobriety a lot of intense counseling and then a lot of you know we're living these lives with the defendants so sometimes they lose a parent something a tragedy happens they lose their house um, a flood comes and so there's also individual counseling available to them for for grief for all kinds of losses that might be happening Um, they lose their job i will know though after staffing i'll practically know who sneezed that week Um, right I'll know who has a new girlfriend who, you know, is getting married, who's going to have a baby, who just bought a house. It's amazing how everything all of a sudden, and you are living proof of that, falls into place with sobriety. Yes. Um, It's hard to believe that that's the key 
to all this other happening, but the jobs they couldn't hold, the jobs they weren't even offered, all of a sudden, all that is taken care of and becomes so much easier for them. And it's, it's tough. We never tell them it's going to be easy, um, but it is going to be worth it. Yeah. Anyway, we just, we believe in change and we know that it can happen and I have seen it. So how long? How long, is that, how long is that process or program? Well, it's designed take? to be a, a year long, but okay. we have some who stayed with us for eight or nine years. They didn't want to leave and right. we weren't going to make them the secure, the stability of it all. Accountability. Um, oh my goodness. And they weren't ready to leave and they know when they are ready to leave. Yeah. And when yeah. they are, they, they scoot on. Um, they do pay a fee every month. So it's like $143. And I always think that wouldn't even pay for one counseling session. And they probably, you know, they'll have, my goodness, they'll have at least maybe two a week. And they also do an interesting program, uh, Moral Reconation Therapy. And you probably have heard of MRT before. And it, it really helps bring a lot of things to light to them that they hadn't. And looks looking at things a different way. Um, right. But we've got a lot of participants who think outside that box and they have jobs and they're in a position to help somebody else give them a job. So they pull them up with them and, um, and have offered jobs. We've got several people like that. And it's just, um, it, you, when you start seeing that, when you see that they're helping others, um, the other day I listened to a, the national association of drug court professionals had this huge thing planned for Anaheim. And all of us had to just cancel our plans because that didn't get to happen, but it right. was online. And one doctor, a PhD said, the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. And I thought, well, this is going to be good. Yeah, said, yeah. The opposite of addiction is reaching out to others and becoming part of that humanity again. And that, that whole world that we make up. I thought, well, when I start seeing things like that in my participants, I know that we're on a really good route because they're thinking. And I wholeheartedly agree with that statement. I, I believe, I believe addiction is a, um, is a, is a selfish thing. Addiction makes you look, uh, makes you care about yourself. The opposite of addiction, uh, puts your focus on, on others. That's really good. I love now, are the DWI courts everywhere? Yes, there's a lot of those. And I, I'm sorry, I don't have the number. And maybe you can, well, you can we'll, Google that and find out because Texas is... Yeah, what we'll do... Uh, when oh, we, we can add some information. Yeah, when we, when we air this podcast, we will make sure all the, um, all the numbers and websites and everything for, for everybody. And uh, if you have somebody in your office that can send me all those links and numbers, you know, I'll put them in there because I think that's great information. Okay. And um, so... I have to say something that you yeah. just said that remind me of something. I start every, every one of those courts, I start with a different quote every time that we meet, which means I have hundreds and hundreds. Yeah. But I love one. and I put a bunch of them together today, some of my favorite ones. But when you were talking about, you know, relationships with others, there's actually two here. Addiction is the only disease that demands your life before it kills you. Yeah. And the one that you reminded me of is addicts don't have relationships. They take hostages. Yep. So, so true. So true. So those families that are hurting and everyone else involved. So it sounds like drug court, DWI court, all these things have really uh, made our system better. Are there parts of our judicial 
probation, parole, prison system that you, in your opinion, might still need some, some type of overhaul? Well, like I said at the beginning, I wish our probation officers who are good people, they do not make huge salaries. They love what they do. They're the biggest cheerleaders when the probationers do well. I wish they had the time or we had the number of officers so that they could spend the amount of time with, with their probationers that they, the kind of attention they get in, right. in the specialty courts. That's big. But if I were to change something, it would just be to lessen the load of the probation officers so they could give the attention that we do to these people, to all of their probationers. So are there any opportunities uh, for volunteers or even speakers or people like me that have come out of DWI and alcoholism to be able to go back in? And I don't know if y'all have classes that people could come speak at or, or be involved mm -hmm. some way. What I would do is um, get you involved with uh, Kristen Arnold, who's our executive director of our drug and DWI court. And then she knows all of those opportunities that, that you would have to do that. You know, at a graduation, we could have you come. We have speakers at uh, graduations when we're, when we're back in our, our regular home there and have really in-person right. things. But, but otherwise, it's just very important, I think, for them to realize that there is hope. There's one huge rule for all the specialty courts, and it's just honesty. Yeah. If they're truthful, I said, you know, when you tell the truth, it becomes a part of your past. When you tell a lie, it becomes a part of your future hmm. because you carry it along with you. Wow. Oh, my goodness. You have to remember what story you told to whom. It just gets, must be an accounting nightmare to try to keep up with it all. But, but anyway, but we can simplify that real easily by just saying just, and if you tell the truth, there may be a sanction, but so what? We pick up and we go on. Right. You know, it's just what happens. So. Anyway, and we expect it's a treatment court. They're all treatment courts. So we yeah. expect that there's going to be some, some glitches along the way. Well, I, for one, really appreciate what you guys do and, and the uh, evolution of drug court, DWI court. And I, and I appreciate uh, what you do because I know instead of just being straight punitive and sending everybody to prison where there are chances of, of repeating. So, I mean, in Texas, it's almost 40 to 50% that they're going to go back to prison. Mm -hmm. So... I, I appreciate what you guys do. I've, I vowed 14 years ago when I got out to be a part of anybody that is a part of the solution of helping, you know, us to quit drinking and driving. I'm, I'm willing to step in there and come speak whenever you want me to. Well, and, good. And, good. Uh, I will. So thank you once and where again. Do you, yes. Where do you live in the? Uh, I live in the Dallas area. Okay. Okay. Well, we could get you down here pretty easily. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I was just down there, uh, like I said, interviewing Jessica and, and, mm -hmm. uh, and I think living life, giving life recovery center, I interviewed some of them and oh, good. So, so, so yeah, I don't mind coming down to Montgomery. So, Very good. All righty. Well, thank okay. you. Thank you for, uh, coming on the show for coming on background check podcast. And, uh, we appreciate every, everything you do. You are welcome. Thank you so much. Nice to meet you. All right. You have a good day. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, so to wrap this episode up, I'd like to start by saying that not all of our system is broken. Most of it is, but this part right here, this, these specialty courts, is not. Now, there's still the money part that, of this that is very expensive, but not nearly as expensive as going to prison. Plus, with all the counseling and specialized treatment you get, it's definitely worth it. And the testimonies of the people who said that without this program, they wouldn't have made it 
We need more of that kind of restorative justice instead of punitive justice. I can't wait to go speak at one of her classes. And lastly, if you drink or do drugs, you have the potential of getting addicted. If that happens, it's a bumpy road ahead. The first bump you hit is denial. You're going you're gonna to deny that you even have a problem. You'll deny it to everybody. You'll deny it to your friends, your family. The next bump is loss. You start losing job after job, relationships, money. Then the next bump is crisis, like a wreck or doing something really stupid while you're drunk or high. I know this road very well, and it's not a fun road. Basically, prison or death is the only bumps after that. If you don't drink, be proud of that, and don't let anyone bully you into doing something that you don't want to do. If you like to drink in front of others or do drugs in front of others who have come out of that addiction already, well, I have some choice words for you. But in short, just be respectful. Don't be a jerk and make someone else fall back into their addiction. And listen, if you're trying to quit, get a hold of us. We can help point you in the right direction, put you around the right people. Just don't isolate yourself. That's the worst thing you can do. I love y'all, and I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Background Check Podcast, brought to you by Forgiven Felons, helping people with a past realize their future. For more information, please visit ForgivenFelons.org. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and please don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss the latest episode. I'm J.D. Gum, and this has been Background Check.